Bunny, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? Yeah? Feeling all right? Doing okay? All right. Well, as Amy mentioned, we are in a new month. Yeah, where did October go? It's just kind of like you, you blink and it's over. Uh, now we're in November, and soon before you know it, Christmas will be here. I love Christmas. Any, any fans? Any fans of Christmas out there? All right, some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Christmas tree? You do a Christmas tree in your home? Christmas tree? How many believe that Christmas trees are like pagan? You're like, you're, you're, you know, you're like it's pagan worship. No? Nobody, nobody dares to raise their hand. No, I'm a fan of the Christmas tree. I am. Um, but yeah, so we're in a new month. Uh, we are in kind of a time where we're in a, having a new focus, if you would. And that new focus uh, leads us to issues about the heart. Um, so a new month, a new focus, uh, and a new series called Vital Signs. Um, many of you know that I'm a big kind of advocate Hopefully you know this if you've been around here for any time. Um, that I'm, in a, I'm a big advocate for the heart. I, 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 uh, I believe actually that God is. I, I believe that the heart does more than just pump blood throughout our body and gives us life that we needed, right? But there's something spiritually that our heart does. And I think the Bible touches upon that uh, uh, and, and shows us that in Scripture. And so um, the tag is pursuing biblical truths for a healthy heart. So... By that tag, you know that we're not going to just pursue our own thoughts about the heart. We're going to pursue the Bible. We're going to look at Scripture and kind of get into it and say, God, what do you have to say about our hearts? You know that the heart is mentioned just under a thousand times. Just under a thousand times in the Bible. I know, Josue. I didn't know that either. I was shocked. I was like, wow, God has a lot to say about the heart. He cares much about the heart in addition to the heart being that kind of vital um, organ that pumps blood throughout our whole body and keeps us alive, the heart is believed in Scripture. It's actually taught in Scripture to be that spiritual part of us that um, is where our emotions and desires dwell. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And unfortunately, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of like bring this dark cloud in the room because there's another kind of dark side, if you would, or there's a downside of what the Bible teaches about the heart also. The Bible says the heart is uh, deceitful. Oh, happy Sunday. <laughs> the Bible says that the heart is desperately sick. Uh, in that no one can understand it. It's what Jeremiah the prophet says. Now I understand that may come across as a bit judgmental. It might seem a bit insensitive. And it might offend some. But the truth of the matter is if we're to look at the scripture, we'll find these things out. If you look at John, uh, sorry, excuse me, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it says this. Again, I quoted it earlier, but the heart is deceitful above all things. Can you imagine that? The heart is deceitful above all things. And I believe that when Jeremiah the prophet says, above all things, he even means the natural things of what our hearts do for our body, in that it gives us life, right? It pumps blood throughout our whole body. Even above those things, Jeremiah says, the heart, at the end of the day, is deceitful. It's desperately sick. And who can understand it? The, the, the great side, or the flip side of this coin, is that Jesus is a great physician, right? Right? And, and, and even without getting too far ahead of myself, Jesus has come what? For the sick. 
You know, he's, he doesn't come for those who are healthy, those who have it all together. He's come for those who need him. And so today in opening this series, I'd like to kind of paint a picture on why I believe we need Jesus. Yes, it doesn't matter if you've been tracking with the Lord in your relationship for a year, 12 years, 20 years. Really doesn't matter. God has a lot to say about the heart, no matter what stage in Christianity you're in today or this morning. The reason I put this scripture right out front for us this morning is not to be offensive in any way. It's not to be provocative. It's not to get more people angry at me. Believe me, I already have enough of those people out there. The reason I mention this this morning is that some of the times the hardest truths are often the most needed truths. They're the most needed to hear. They're the most needed to say. And those truths are mostly needed for change. You know, thank you, honey. So appreciate your vote of confidence. I'd go anywhere with you, babe. I'd build anything with you. Greatest fan. Um, stop it, right? I mean, come on. You're going to make me cry. I was, uh, funny story. I cr- I'm, I'm, I'm getting older and I'm getting more emotional. I had to, uh, this is off subject, but it will, it will make a lot of you guys laugh and smile. And so uh, this week, Friday actually, me, my son, my wife, we went down to this thing called Classical Conversations, this weekly class that my son does with a bunch of other students. And they do these family presentations, okay, that's what they call them. It's really awkward. Uh, the majority of families that attend this uh, um, school uh, are Catholics, they're Baptists, and my son wants to go there and sing Reckless Love as a family. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm like, Abram, did you read John Piper's article about this? You know, <laughs> do you know that there's many people who are kind of conflicted, like, God is not reckless. We all know that God is not reckless. But it was funny in the sense that, just touching upon my kind of emotional side, is I'm sitting there singing a song, uh, two ladies and kids who um, probably have like a, a theological problem with the words of the song, and I'm just looking at my son, and we're just singing. I mean, I've, I sing this song all the time, but I'm crying. I'm we, I'm tearing up, and I, I'm thinking, oh yeah, oh. I was embarrassed. I'm like, what is going on in my heart? Like. The way that mom is looking at me, not my wife, but this mother was looking at me in the back row of like, oh my God, this reckless love song. Uh, I, I was like, of all things, I should not be crying right now, but I am. And so just, I don't know what's happening. I think maybe it's a being 40, something's going on. I don't pray for me. But I, I seem to be crying at the, I don't know, just the most emotional things that shouldn't probably provoke those t- that kind of emotion in me, but I'm grateful anyways. Uh, the flip side of this, guys, is that God has a heart. How many know that God has a heart? Of course he does, right? It makes sense. He created us, right? The Bible also talks about God having a heart in the same sense that he has emotions in desire. For example, David was said to be a man after God's own heart in Acts 13, 22. You can turn there if you want with me. It says this, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after what? My heart, God's heart. And just a little caveat on the end here, he says, who will do all my will? Now that is important 
That is important to focus in on and bring into play. Just as much as David being a man after God's own heart, it's really uh, not necessarily conditional, but really attributed to that David was a man, like it says here in Acts, that was after God's own heart, but a man that would do all of God's heart, or all of God's will, so to speak. Not just parts, not just pieces, but the entirety of what was in God's heart, David would execute, excuse me, Samuel, Samuel, I'm tripping over my words, said this, God will raise up leaders after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 2.35, it says this, and I will raise up for myself, myself being God, a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. So God has a heart in the sense he has emotions and desires. He has created us in his image. It makes sense that that would be part of what makes up hearts also. Much like the heart pumps blood throughout our bodies, it also serves as that central part of us that connects, if you would, our emotions and desire to the main kind of fuel source that governs our actions and behaviors. And this is getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we'll see this in the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, uh, I believe it's 22. But in Acts 13, 22, we can see some of this in the words there of that passage. As I read earlier, David was what? A man after God's own heart. What were the qualifications of that? What, what were those things measured by? What did God see in David? But, oh, there's David, a man after my heart. I believe that Acts chapter 13, 22 sheds some light on those qualifications. Maybe not so obvious, but they're there if you would look. David is regarded as, or in Acts, to be someone who is what? After God's own heart. Not just a piece, not just a part. Acts mentions that David will do all of what? All of God's will. I wonder if that's what God saw in David. Because when we take the entirety of David's life, when we, when we look at it from a distance in Scripture, we're like, that man failed miserably. Like, I mean, you take Bathsheba. I mean, you take, there, there's a long list of things that you just wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, no, David was a man after God's own heart. But nevertheless, that's what God saw. The marks of David's pursuit being that he is a man after the heart of God, is that what? He prefers the will of God over his own. I got three people who are like listening. Oh, wow. Amen. <laughs> David prefers the will of God over his own. In other words, he is fiercely dedicated, fiercely committed to obeying God. David's heart is set on obedience. His desires are set. His emotions are bent towards that obedience. David's heart is set on one thing. His emotions are set on one thing. His desires and the appetites of his flesh and heart, his affections are blinded, if you would. They're blinded by one thing, obedience to God. And that obedience will end up governing all of David's actions and behaviors. Now, God observes this and makes the assessment. I didn't make it. Of course, we can look back at Scripture and be like, David, there are so many places that you failed. 
Would have been good, David, if you were after God's own heart and maybe in war when you should have been instead of on top of the roof looking at Bathsheba, right? I mean, but it doesn't matter. Say what you want to say about David. Uh, thank God for his mercy because I don't know, as I said earlier, if, if really the entirety of David's life really attributes to that kind of statement. But at the end of David's life, in Acts, in the New Testament, God says, this man, David, was a man after my heart. So God sees it in David. And God says it about David. And the matter is closed. The matter is closed. The Bible also says that God searches the heart. Boy, man, that makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Jeremiah 7.10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. Oh, and according to the fruit of his deeds, his actions, his behavior. That's what Jeremiah is talking about, friends. Don't think for a moment that God just overlooks your behavior. Don't think for a moment that God overlooks your actions. He doesn't. It's a large part of how God judges our hearts, our condition to our deeds. That's what it says here. They're conditional to the fruit of our lives, our actions, our behaviors, our deeds. Now, if this doesn't speak directly to what I was talking about with David earlier, it really does explain nicely, if you would, what God saw in David. God's assessment of David's ways and his deeds was ultimately what played a part in God's assessment of David's heart. In other words, you can't say, I'm after God, and somehow the actions and the behaviors of your life don't line up to be a man or a woman after God. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect in them. Of course, again, David was far from perfect. But again, we can remove all that. God saw something that obviously we didn't see or I can't see. And many times, various ways, David fails miserably. But there was something that God saw in David that we're almost blinded to in a sense. And I believe it's David's fierce dedication to obeying God. And even at the expense of his own failures, Here's the thing, guys. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. Man, if you just, if you could have been a fly on the wall this week in my life and saw the many ways and times that I failed miserably. But see, God sees beyond those failures. And in no way should our lives be measured by those failures. It's all about getting back up, signing back up. It's all about the bent of our hearts, right? Yes, God is not into behavior modification. That's not what I'm preaching. But man, I've said this time and time again, that if God has your heart, he has your body. If God has your heart, he has your eyes, young man and young woman. If God has your heart, he has your hands. If God has your heart, he has your mind. Your thoughts are his. If God has your heart, he has your finances. If God has your heart, he has your worship. See, it's all about the heart. And even in the midst of David's colossal list of failures, at the end of the day, in Acts, well before David's passing, God speaks, oh, there was this man, David, who was after my heart. And I'm thinking maybe people were thinking, well, David was after your heart, man. 
what are you talking You remember that time when he touched or had that, you know, remember that time when he was supposed to be in war? Remember those? David, David saw, God saw something that we, couldn't, we can't and they probably couldn't. The fact that God searches the heart, in my opinion, is scary, but it gets scarier because God not only searches the hearts, but he knows the secrets of the heart. That scares me in a good way. Psalms 42, 21 says this. Would not God discover this? For he knows what? The secrets of the heart. This makes God scary. But it also, in my opinion, makes God the best qualified to diagnose the true condition of the heart. If he knows the secrets, he knows what's inside of me, then he's best qualified to give me the prognosis of how to be more whole and healthy in my heart. If he sees the heart also as wicked and deceitful and sick, and that I somehow am blinded, as Jeremiah says, for nobody knows the heart like God, I, try, I don't get offended. I actually find comfort in that. Jesus had some things to say about the heart. This is what he said in Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. <laughs> Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitful, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a personal happy day, Jesus, happy day. The word heart here in Mark chapter 7 means this, the center of all physical and spiritual life. <laughs> here Jesus teaches essentially that the heart is the fountain seat. Now listen, cue in friends. That Jesus here in Mark 7 teaches that the heart is the fountain seat, the center of where all thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, and affections come from, be them good or bad. Thomas Dubai explains this in his book, Fire Within. He says, Jesus taught that the heart works as the faculty in the seat of intelligence of both our will and character. So not only does Jesus, or not only, excuse me, does the heart pump blood through our body and give us life, but Jesus here in Mark 7 teaches that the heart is the central faculty in the seat of intelligence that affects and stirs for good or for bad our sensibilities. So if you ever wonder where those kind of emotions come from, that get you heated up over things that are just so contrary to the gospel. Start looking at the heart. Start praying about your heart. Because really, if the issue and the crisis of pornography in the church first starts in the heart, then we shouldn't try to diagnose the issue of pornography. We should start trying to diagnose the issue of the heart. If, if That's enough said about that. Sensibilities like our emotions and desires... And appetites. Now, many of you know my story. You know, I've given my testimony many times of my own personal struggle and different victories and, 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 and things that um, 
kind of vexed me in my early days of uh, being a follower of Christ that I struggled tremendously with uh, issues like pornography. I, I struggled tremendously in, in my sec- with my sexuality. And it wasn't until I started stop trying to diagnose the computer and get the coveting, uh, coveting, coveting eyes, you know, kind of accountability partner in my life. When I started just focusing on my own heart, it's really when I started experiencing the most victory and freedom. Because I realized that there was something greater than just, that was happening than just flipping over a computer screen. You know, there was something bigger happening than just calling this girl or doing this thing. There was something of the heart that needed to be transformed. There was something in my heart that needed to be changed. You see, it started here. Therefore, I would say this in light of Jesus' remarks in Mark 7, is that we should take heed the proverb. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Come on, let's get real here today, church. So many of us, we so want to experience the freedom that Jesus has for us in the area of our sexuality, in the area of offense, in any area that grieves us that we know is contrary to Christian, our Christian faith. It starts here. We must first take stock and inventory of our own hearts and watch them villages, you know, with all villages. But you know, before that, we actually need to acknowledge the problem that there is something inherently wrong in our hearts. I know that may sound a little bit off at a charismatic church, but if we're to adhere, adhere to the teachings of the Bible, we're almost duped right out the get-go. There's this new kind of pervasive teaching in the body of Christ that we are born innocent, that the heart is not wicked, that it is not deceitful. Friends, can I just tell you that it is a lie from the pit of hell. Where is the hope in all of this, right? Where is the hope? Guys, there's great hope. Listen, if you had a doctor that could see disease, maybe it was heart disease, maybe it was cancer before that cancer ran rampant in your body, or that, uh, that, that heart disease kind of grabbed and, and, and corroded your veins and started really, in, you were having a heart attack, wouldn't you want to know preventively what to do? If you could have somebody say, hey listen, if you don't get more exercise, if you don't go, start going to the gym, maybe eat some fruits and vegetables, hallelujah, I should probably do that, but you know, if, if you had somebody that could give you some preventive of hell. Would you not want that in your life? If you had a disease, if there was something that, that, that could be corrected with just the little bit of adjustments, maybe with your diet or going to the gym, wouldn't you want to know? Well, Jesus longs to be that for us in our lives. He sees some things and all it takes is just us opening our hearts and saying, Jesus, help me. I know the word of God. I don't necessarily go there in my mind. I don't necessarily even know what's in my heart. But your word says that it's deceitful above all things, that it is sick. So Lord, show me. You know, David did this. Didn't David give us that beautiful Psalms? Search me and know me, God. See if there's any wickedness or evil inside of my heart. Why have we lost that in the church today? Why are we so afraid of that? Friends, I just want to tell you, I personally am not afraid of that. I am not afraid of the darkness that resides in my chest, in my soul. 
I am very open to know that I am prone to wonder. I am prone to not act like a Christian. I know, scary, he's pastor, my God. It's the truth. But I know this about me. And we should all know this about ourselves. Thus, our hearts should be this. No, God, we're not afraid. Search us, know us. Because if Jeremiah is right, you and I, we don't know us like we should know us. But God does. Search us and know us. So there is great hope. I'm trusting in the one who searches and knows better than me the secrets that are in my heart. He is best suited to give the diagnosis and the explanation of the true condition of things regarding my heart. Friends, I don't want us to be afraid. Hilltop Church, I don't want you to be afraid that you can't be honest and transparent with God, that that you don't have to make up lies, even biblical lies, that kind of excuse the true condition of the heart. We don't have to do that. All we have to do is trust and say, God, like David said, search me and know me. God sees things in our hearts, right? We don't need to be afraid. We should be grateful that he sees. I'm, I'm, I am indebted. <laughs> I am indebted to God, not just for salvation, but for those times he kindly lovingly brought me into his presence and said, Daryl, that's in your heart. That offense, that's in your heart. I want you to go to your brother. I want you to ask for forgiveness. Daryl, that gossip, that's in your heart. I am so grateful. And I, I, I believe that never once did I turn that into an opportunity to create this mass chaotic scenario where maybe I was, I was at work to divide a church or relationships. I literally took it before God and said, God, do in me the work that you need to do so I don't suffer at the hand of offense and jealousy and bitterness. God, I don't want to die to this thing. Deliver me. And I think we should. I think that should be the bent and the cry of our hearts. So what do we do, right? How do we par- partner, excuse me, and cooperate with what God wants to do in our heart? First things first, and I have to read this, so bear with me. We allow ourselves again to let ourselves be comfortable with the fact that our hearts are wicked, that they are bent towards deceit. If we can't acknowledge what the problem is, we'll never seek out the appropriate help we need. You know, if today I was told, hey, you know, Daryl, you got a tumor, you know, in your neck or whatever. I don't, I don't even know. And I knew I could do some things preventively to, to maybe eat better and to just, you know, do some things that might correct and bring the thing, uh, you know, I don't even know what the terminology would, I would use to explain it. But I, if I knew I could do something, if somebody let me know, I would, I would respond appropriately. I would take the actions. But if, but if I'm just ignoring it, if I'm just like pretending it's not there, guess what? It will never be dealt with. And so the first thing we need to acknowledge that there's a problem here. We need to acknowledge the true condition of our hearts. So in acknowledging, we recognize, we embrace it, meaning we have fully accepted the diagnosis of our hearts being wicked. And that will lead us to addressing our condition. Second, we must allow the condition of our hearts to fully seep into our consciousness and fully seep into our emotions, thus creating in us 
a, uh, not a hardened heart, but a softened heart. There's so many people today that when either God speaks to them about something that exists in their heart, they harden, they pull away. It scares them, or they think it's the devil. I don't know how many people, I mean, like, oh, the devil's lying about me. No, it's probably God telling you the truth about something in your heart. Just listen. God speaks far much more than the devil, friend. So we soften our hearts instead of hardening them. The result of hardening our hearts is pride, guys. Pride does nothing. It does nothing. God can do. Matter of fact, God will do nothing with pride. Let me list a couple of scripture verses in closing. Proverbs, unless you don't believe me that God can do nothing with pride or people who are prideful, you can go to Proverbs 3.34 or Proverbs 29.23 for your enjoyment. <laughs> Matthew 23.12, Luke 1.52, James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And there's a list more. It's a scary fact that God says, I reject the proud, but I embrace the humble. And I think what I would like to tie that into this morning is just that in looking at our hearts and knowing the true condition, that we, my hope is that we won't recoil and pull away from God and even pull away from one another, but that we would press into discovering the true condition of our hearts in so that we can find freedom. For the humble, the sky is the limit. For the teachable, there is no ceiling. And for those who are sick, Jesus will come. Why? Because he said he would. He doesn't come for those who are all put together, shiny, you know, and have it all together, so on. There's probably nobody here in this room that has that, has their life and their heart all together. But this is the beautiful thing. Jesus will come to those who are sick. Right? This is what Mark 2.17 says. Those are well, have no need for his physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, we're in a good place. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm the chief of all sinners who needs heart transformation. Jesus, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for this introduction, Lord, and these weeks through November that we'll tread and we'll talk and discuss. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the enemy would not find any place in our hearts to condemn. Lord, I thank you that you convict. You don't condemn. Lord, I pray if anybody feels condemned, Lord, that you would rebuke the devil. Lord, that yes, you would convict our heart, but not con condemn it. God, I pray that, Lord, through conviction and through things coming to the surface, Lord, that we would take on the heart of David, where we just say simply, God, I'm not afraid of what's in here. Search me and know me. Help me, God, in this month. Help us all, Father, I pray, to become more whole in our hearts, Lord, to become more whole in our emotions. Father, I do pray, Lord, that, that you would do a sovereign work in our midst, Lord, throughout this series in November, Lord, that you would teach us so much about the heart, but not just so much about the heart, God. We pray that also you would teach us how you long to help our hearts as a physician, as one who cares, as one who searches, as one who knows, Father. We pray in that, God, you would send 
a great help, a, a mighty help to our hearts. And Lord, even as we step into Monday, Father, I pray that you would meet us supernaturally. God, in healing our hearts, showing, unearthing things, but also working your great work inside of our hearts that we might take on the person of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the example of Christ. Let it first start in our hearts, Lord. Ground us and tether us to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.